Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Like I said, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. We got uh, we got the top down. We got our sunglasses on. Charlie's got his hair slicked oh, back. We're cruising. White t shirts. I got cigarettes. Oh, good. Up into my sleeve. We're gonna need some cigarettes. We're hitting Main Street USA and going cruising. <laughs> we're going cruising, baby. Any town, New York, American USA. Oh. All the great cruising movies, right? Oh yeah, I oh, love it. Put it up there. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. This is a movie podcast. We're here. We're talking cruising. We got a movie. This is a this, this is a, a movie right here. Kind of an infamous movie in in my periphery, having never seen it till now, and never seen it till never now. Seen it till oh, now. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. This is exciting. I knew enough about it to know that it seemed dangerous. And, cruising. Uh, Cruising's I, a dangerous movie. I think I was justified in that in that thought. Watching it felt dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has a reputation. Yeah, Cru- there's no movie. Like William Friedkin's Billy Friedkin's cruising, mm-hmm. right? Friedkin, this is he's on the list, right? He's, he's a he's master. The, he's on our complete list, yeah, right? We've done a few Friedkins already. Have we done a few? We uh, did Killer Joe. We did Killer Joe. Didn't we do French Connection, maybe, or no, something like we, that? That's the thing. He just has so Shit. many all his movies. We've all also, of them. we've reached the point in our podcast where I really can't remember. I could convince you done. that we did a two-hour podcast on Jade. <laughs> exactly. I, could, I could get you to believe that uh, i would believe it friedkin man we could do a freaking weekend like we oh, could i love the this guy weekend. is on the list yeah. and i don't quite know what i think about cruising after all these years i don't know what i think about william friedkin but william friedkin is a freak man <laughs> this guy, this guy. <laughs> the word misanthrope uh comes to mind uh he's a he's psycho He's insane, Jesus, man. I watched I like love one of the featurettes, an interview with him on the Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. And this dude's got the normal eyes of a killer. <laughs> yeah, this guy's this guy. He was he looked like such a boring dad. He had those square glasses with two bars connecting them, like uh, he big, looked like big a, Dahmer or uh, yeah. Yeah, he looked like BTK Hinkley killer. or something. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. And he was wearing <laughs> like just a striped. A boring dad tucked in bass shirt with a with the brown suede leather jacket. Wow. Like he's just a Republican dad with this. Squ- oh, my God. Just talking about how he made one of the most messed up movies. And he, he the way he so plainly was just like, yeah, I guess I see why the gay community would have a problem with it. But it was just a thing like, you know, just like this guy's a cold Dead-eyed killer, man. <laughs> this guy's a psycho. This guy is so cavalier, so plain. Yeah. He's got this Chicago accent hmm. that is all... He just looks like this dude, but he is a freak. Okay? <laughs> also, it showed these pictures on the set of him filming, and he's just wearing an exorcist shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just remind everyone who's daddy. Yeah, who's just an man? exorcist t-shirt and shorts, just while he's holding, holding the camera. Nice. Love him. Yeah, I I think of him as just like yeah, a guy who made one of the most influential, popular '70s horror movies, and then just spent the rest of his career being like, "What's the most 
messed up thing I can do. Friedkin is. What's the most psychosexual, erotic, messed up, just kind of uncomfortable, unclean thing I can put to film? Unclean is good. Even a, mo- a you know French Connection, one of the biggest movies of its year. Yeah. Right? Award-winning, box office-breaking, huge movie. Huge hit. It's like a grimy flick. You know, Exorcist plays cold and, and grimy and gross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, really gross Feels, for that era, right? And that's what makes it so scary. Yeah. Like, I saw that in the 2001 theater re-release mm-hmm, when it I got there. Yeah. Oh, man, that theater was chilled. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that theater was grossed by this older movie, right? Mm-hmm. And Friedkin is just uncomfortable in his settings. Killer Joe has some unsettling scenes right oh uh, yeah bug is an uncomfortable head trip of a movie right this guy knows how to get under get under skin yeah that's what i felt watching cruising was just this huge sense of unease uncomfortable tension fear this i didn't realize this was like a full-on like slasher movie right i knew that it was freaking pacino gay club uh undercover cop Okay, who's so looking you, for a killer. Yeah, the gist, but didn't know it was a straight up. Yeah, and I knew uh, the story of Spinell spending his cruising money on to make Maniac. <laughs> yeah, so that's like what yeah, I knew. This so movie I knew Spinell showed up. Uh, Lustig's Maniac. Yeah. Huh? Uh, so it was kind of infamous in all those ways. But uh, yeah, I didn't realize how bleak and dark and disturbing and conf- like I also felt like I was going crazy watching it because there's some weird stuff happening. And it's I don't surreal. know if it's if I'm seeing what's really happening on screen or if I'm seeing through the eyes of a killer. We'll get into all the like. It was like, really... does this movie actually go supernatural at one point, or was I or was I watching it at eleven thirty on a, just, a weeknight? Yeah, it just seems like there's these scenes that feel like fantasy sequences, and then uh, yeah, we'll get in very it. real sex. Yeah, well, <laughs> very <laughs> uncomfortable, sweaty one man th- on man action. One thing, uh, you know, this movie is very controversial because it was very heavily protested by Mm -hmm. the gay community when this came out. This movie dives into the world of the 1980 New York City S&M leather daddy scene in some unflinching ways. I, I underestimated the size of the 1980 New York City leather daddy scene. Let me tell you, this is a thriving subculture in, in this movie. I am not tough enough as a man to have survived <laughs> a night at the Ramrod <laughs> in 1980. This is some rough customers in this place, man. These are these are men. These guys are tough as hell. Yeah. Every guy looked too tough, too scary, and also really cool. <laughs> these guys looked fucking punk rock in these clubs, dude. These yeah. guys had look and style and presence. A lot of them looked like full-on just bikers. Yeah. Except assless chaps dancing on the dance floor. We got so many juicy buns. A lot of buns. In hairy, right? I think that's why everybody looks so tough is because they're so hairy. This is pre-like shaving it up There's for your friends. There's some pretty tough-looking hairy dudes. There's a lot of hair. man. Yeah, a lot of glistening hair in this in this movie. These men had great taste in music, but sure. were threateningly, yeah. menacingly horny through a hundred minutes of this film. And I could tell 
So I got. So that's yeah. Why why would it be protested by a? Community? Why would they hate being depicted as exclusively this? Yeah, not a single other aspect. You get of one gay normal gay show. guy, uh, the redheaded guy, right. be friends with, just wearing like a normal wearing his like Christopher guy. Street tank top, like. I'm just a cool gay. <laughs> like that, I'm the one nice gay in town. Well, let's go get breakfast. All the others are the potential murderer. Yeah. Every other gay in the movie, potential knife murderer. And if they're not the murderer that we're looking for in the movie, they're a murderer. Yeah. They so, they they go out to hurt people. This movie... <laughs> That's what you believe in the movie. It is not a, very shocking to hear this is controversial. Anybody watching yeah. this movie for the first time, go, yeah, I could see why this would cause a stir in 1980. Uh, it's it's when very I s- bleak. It's very violent. It's yeah. It's not a positive. And I'm pretty look sure most people seeing this movie, this is probably their first look at the New York oh. leather nightlife scene. Back then, yeah, absolutely. right. Nobody was <laughs> or now, yeah. Nobody living in Ohio going to see this, right? I mean, I know every every bi- major metropolitan city has a yeah. nightlife like. But Do you think Pacino's name attached to this movie got people in Ohio to go see Cruising? Like, or did I have it play? To imagine. Did it you play know, in guys the are like, "He's the Godfather." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're hey, seeing Cruising tonight. Exactly. Like, we're going Cruising. In '78, they're like, "Anything with Pacino, I'm there." Two years later, was, like, "All right, uh, I amend that." <laughs> yeah. People did not. See, it took see a love and to get that guy back to seeing Pacino movies again, right? right? He, he took woman. a nine year off. No, uh, uh, it's true. He did not do much in the '80s. This Didn't was, he do like four movies in the, the whole decade of the 80s? Yeah. He uh, he went back into theater. Mm-hmm. He went back into the circuit and did not do a lot of movie work and does not talk at all about cruising. Oh, yeah. You cannot find any Pacino comments online about cruising. You can't find any Karen Allen comments about cruising. Like, So it's all William Friedkin's point of view, all that. But this movie was so heavily protested because... You are implying that all gays are like violent killers who also really love violence. Mm. Or just like the depiction of them is just like sex crazed. Like every club that he goes into, they are just, they're fucking in the background. They I are mean, just openly, and it gets worse and worse throughout the movie. <laughs> like first it's just like guys with butts exposed dancing. Then the next club, it's like, okay, they're openly giving blowjobs on the dance floor. By the end of the movie, we're in like a medieval fisting <laughs> contraption. The guy in the club, the guy greasing up his entire arm is a jump scare. I was like, "What? You don't have to do this, when- <laughs> William. You don't have so to do this." <laughs> I had the I had the pleasure of seeing this movie in theaters just this last week. I never thought I'd get to see Cru- so. I'm not tough enough to go see if they ever played cruising actually down in SF. You know, if this played right, like. I wouldn't be cool enough for that crowd, right? And I didn't think it would play in Santa Rosa. <laughs> but they did a Scarface cruising double feature. So cruising starting at 10.15 mm-hmm. on a Thursday. A quarter of the crowd of Scarface is there, right? And I leaned over and say, like, I don't think most of these people are expecting cruising. I don't think most people in the crowd had seen it. It, it wasn't a, you know, it made money back in the time, but it's not... A movie that was going to get shown on TV. It's not. Yeah, it never got on TV. It wasn't <laughs> one you saw in the video store. I'm sure it was one like. I'm sure it could play on like HBO. I late. Was, I was you know? surprised. This is streaming on HBO Max. I was like, it's right there. It's a different time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 2023. The fact that this movie can still read kind of shocking in a lot of scenes in 2023 makes you feel like 
1980 must have been crazy. It, this cruising. is such a dark movie. It opens with the big cruising, bold uh, title screen going across. Great look. Really unnerving music throughout. This kind of almost like the insanity. The Nietzsche, music. Nietzsche score is amazing. We can we can get that all out of the way now. Yeah. The, the fact that he's not really making music through a lot of this. He's just making kind of noise. It just sounds, it's like those moments in the X-Files where it just sounds like crickets yeah. on strings going, going. A lot of this score he did by rubbing stuff on glass. Hmm. You get a lot of scraping, squeaky. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> Ear rubby kind of sounds. Yeah. When you're not hearing like leather being manipulated, you're hearing yeah, the leather bizarre. The squeak of the leather. All This is a very ADR heavy movie. Yeah. Had to be overdubbed a lot. Due to the protesting, a lot of thousands of people. So they weren't just protesting the screenings; they were actually on set protesting. Like they knew this movie was getting made, and I saw it was based on a novel. I I wonder if the so yeah, the novel was from a decade before, and Friedkin, you know, this thing kicked around waiting for somebody to develop it for like the whole decade. Yeah, right. A lot of people were attached to this as a project, and then went, (laughs) I don't think there's any way. Until old Billy Friedkin I'm trying to imagine in. this gay club scene in 1969 or 70. Yeah, well, you know, Stonewall Inn Massacre yeah. was 69, and these clubs are taking place in those same areas. Yeah. And I think by the time Friedkin did it, I think the book was more dated in his view, because these this scene had sprouted up, and this yeah. was the scene he wanted to do in the movie. And so he just did it in the clubs. He filmed in these clubs. That's why this all feels like so authentic and so real. It's just, he was in there. He was just filming, and I'm sure there's stuff that he had to edit the hell out of to get to where we got. Mm. Once he's leaving in the greased fist, what did we lose? <laughs> what did we lose to the cut footage? There's no way United Artists is like, oh, you want us to hang on to this hardcore pornography for the next 40 years until something called Blu-ray comes along? <laughs> right. Yeah, we will definitely keep that in the climate-controlled environment, Billy. Yeah, it's in the vault. Don't sure worry. thing. Yeah, it's in the vault next to Jade. I can only imagine. Yeah, what a studio would have thought getting this movie. Because yeah, like I said, it's just it's just so like Friedkin is so anti. He's just such a. Yes. He's like, this is an anti-cop movie. This is like pretty much an anti-gay movie. It could be. This is he, like a serial killer slasher. When you think it's going to be like a cop undercover type movie, and it's and also like I said, like I'm not sure what the ending means. It like, is I'm not sure frustratingly what frustratingly unresolved and kind of obnoxiously avoids taking any kind of stance. Yeah, and uh, that's one of those things where I'm leaving Thursday night. I'd I had seen it before, but mm-hmm. never in a theatrical setting with strangers who didn't know what they were stepping into. Um. I'm walking out of there going like that's that's a masterpiece right there. That's br-. and then I'm kind of thinking about more and more as the you know the next few days goes on, and I'm just getting annoyed by several elements and more like, you know, I could see why some people were pissed about some of this. Some of the unresolution kind of makes it's going to make some bad people draw some bad conclusions. Mm. And this whole movie is about bad people making bad conclusions, right? So, as I was saying, filmed in all these clubs. That's how. The community knew the movie was being made. <laughs> right. Suddenly, camera crews and Al Pacino shows up to the ramrod. Al Pacino with just the most gorgeous afro. Whew. And he looked amazing. He's in he's in these black wife beaters and big jeans and boots and chains that and curly leather. Hair on him. 
aviator glasses. I mean, the look in this thing is... He looked so much like Oscar Isaac, too. Totally. I was like... Yes. It was so weird. It, like, it looked just like Oscar Isaac, but then Pacino's voice coming out of him. And like a pretty quiet Pacino most of the... Like, at least first two-thirds of the movie. This is like a quiet... This is a softer... Yeah, he wasn't a crazy he, he man before he, he goes undercover. Yeah. This movie is all about a, a normal, plain man who resembles recent victims in a man who's targeting the gay community. So he, they need him to go undercover. You're right. It's just and a it's a way cop. for him to jump all the way up to detective. Skip a lot of ground if he goes on this tough undercover mm-hmm. assignment. Within the manhole. Yeah downtown <laughs> but even before that whole th- plot gets set up we we open with like a gross arm in the river then we get spinel and his partner in the cop car Spin- and spinel, spinel and mike star mike star of, right yeah Young, this name this movie is full of dudes every dude's a name not only movie. is everybody on screen 98 percent dude but there are also some dudes you know in this movie. A lot of dudes. We're going to go Scene through all the... As, as we go through, we'll do the dudes you know. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Joe Spinell sets a tone Man. in this movie that is... that The, the tone is, Spinell always sets. You're up to is. your neck and shit from the very opening of this movie. He is... It's dark. It is violent. It is antisocial. And then they immediately pick up two male hookers and essentially force them to... Uh, yeah, man. Bad pleasure vibes. them in a cop car before we even get to the, the plot of the movie. Mike Starr and Joe Spinell are two oh, just ugly creeps. faces to be like forcing, uh, you know, the trans sex. Yeah. Right in our uh, right in our kickoff scene of the new Pacino flick. Right. Yeah. Do you recognize our beautiful blonde? It's the killer from 10 to midnight. I was going to say, yeah, I think. Yeah. That guy, I couldn't remember his name, but I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a guy we've seen recently. Gene Davis looked great mm. as that character. But yeah, that's how the movie opens. Yeah. His two Before guys in wigs see... getting forced to uh, fillet the gr- two grossest cops on the 6th District beat, right? Joe yeah. Spinell's got such a face for movies, man. What a what a gross mug on that guy. And just But just his vileness. In this movie is so like insane. He stands out as wet in a sea of (laughs) wet men. He just looks so wet and slimy and greasy. Yeah, yeah. What a face! Right, love him. I really do. (laughs) I do do. love Joe Spinell. He's so good in this movie, and he keeps popping up over and over in this movie, which was so great to see. He's now, yeah. This movie gets into so many different characters, not just the corrupt cop, but. One's the Mike Starr's the corrupt cop that hates and abuses and uses this gay scene. Joe Spinell's the corrupt cop who like uses it and is secretly in it. He's in it, yeah. He's always at the club. You see him throughout, yeah. Uh, so using then, his using his push to get things. So then we uh, open up on. I thought we were opening up on Pacino going into a club. Okay, and I was very confused when it was not Pacino, and it was our killer. Because I was like, why is the killer a dead ringer for Al Pacino in this movie? <laughs> That's why he's got undercover, man. The killer has a type. And here's the thing. But the killer is the type. Like, the killer's got the same fro and later has the same outfit. And I was like, am I going crazy? Like, is Al Pacino no, undercover you're not crazy. as the killer? Because every killer looks like every victim in this movie because the movie keeps changing every new killer to the previous victim. 
Okay, okay. Yeah. I wasn't going crazy The movie crazy keeps then. using different dudes who all look exactly the same to keep reenacting the same scenes. It's so... And they also all look like kind of like Pacino, the victims. Okay. It's so fucking weird. Because <laughs> when they finally settle on their the guy they think it is, Richard Cox, yeah, I was like, this is not the guy from the beginning of the movie. And no. this is not the guy who you see... But it see... looks a lot like the guy... They have the same long face and the same, yeah. you know... Mane of hair. They all look alike. But it's definitely not. But they all are shown in film a certain it, they way. They all look like Pacino, like Pacino. Then at the end, I think it's implied that he's been the killer the whole time. Yeah, they do Spoiler this weird, alert. like, is Deckard a replicant yeah. thing with, like, also Pacino might have killed a bunch of gay men. Like, wait, is that what he was doing? <laughs> I don't know. Because we never see him have sex with a guy. It never actually says he had to have sex with some no, guys. He's, it purposely says none of that. He's terrible undercover. Yeah, he is the most easily identifiable narc cop in every scene of he this. He gets called out in the club by the security, like, at least the once, and he sticks out like a sore thumb the entire time, staring these dudes down like Oscar Isaac. Yeah, man. It's so bizarre. Can you imagine you being told to go in there, me being told? It's like, yeah, you have to be in this scene where there's very specific rules and everybody abides by different color codes and sign language codes. Yeah. And you have to understand it the first day. And like, he never gets no. a... You don't see training. Yeah. You know, he's just thrown into this scene like a guy walking in in jeans and a denim. And everybody else is wearing like leather straps across their chest. You're like, do you just show up in your jock strap? Or is there a <laughs> yeah. place where is there you a changing? Is there a safe there a place to room? leave your pants? <laughs> or do you walk, do you just catch a cab as close to outside as you can get? When exactly. does the jock strap come in? <laughs> I don't know enough about it. It's yeah, this it's... movie throws you right in. <laughs> Other than Powers Booth showing up for one scene to explain hanky code to everyone. That's another guy. Yeah, Powers Booth with the great one scene as the hanky salesman. He doesn't just sell hankies. That's just, <laughs> I think it was exclusively hankies. What, no, because there's a giant, <laughs> way too huge tub behind him that says lube. <laughs> Lying on its side, just next to his head. So when you go out for a night at the club, you just need the the hanky to tell you what's what and the lube to uh, make it happen. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Al Pacino learning about hanky code on his first night. Decided to dip his toe in by going, like, golden shower. Yeah. Which I guess he's That's like... That's one of the four hankies. like, I don't want to touch a dude's stuff, but I guess if I had to pee on a guy, is that how he's just, like... Yeah. I love how the, jumped into how this the hankies escalate. Yeah, it's like, well, blue is if you want to uh, give a blowjob. Mm -hmm. Yellow's for the golden shower. Like, yeah, I mean... Whoa, which is... That's, but it's all pretty, a lot of things like, in between. It's pretty easy to figure out code in fairness to the code. Yeah. So uh, that's the least of his worries. Yeah. He didn't, I bet he was not expecting every club you go into to have 80 of the toughest guys that are all giving him the most threatening, but also alluring looks in this movie. The one, yeah, I could never, by the way, could never be gay because the ritual, I couldn't, I couldn't do handle it. this. The ritual that these guys have to go through of standing near each other, asking for a light, the, the, <laughs> the code you've got to abide by. Even at the gayest club in New York City, you've still got to like be like a tough like. All right, uh, and then we got to go back to the, our place. That opening kill, by the way, terrifying. That is terrifying. That was really this. Horrifying. This movie is scary. This is an actual scary movie. I, I agree. This is a horror movie, as far as I'm concerned. No, this is a really scary movie because not only are is every guy in this movie portrayed as like a killer, but yeah, this movie like I think. I could handle the gay sex part before I could handle the daily weightlifting. 
and like right. dieting that must go into looking like everybody in this movie the taking care of yourself stuff the personal yeah, style is so incredible how everybody was wearing the exact same kind of squeaky leather but nobody in this movie looked like another guy in the movie but they all looked like the same guy mm-hmm. it was so many weird variations of the same guy and they all looked like a killer and the movie also then starts taking the stance of like maybe there's been a bunch of killers and gay men only exist to kill other gay men like we don't get any answers, and we don't really learn anything about anybody. Yeah. But it's... it all looks incredibly intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was clenched most of this movie uh, in all the wrong places. <laughs> this is a tough movie, man. These killings are tough. The video booth killing, the guy going in in all leather, yeah. that's the guy that gets tied up and killed in the first killing. Freakin's just swapping out all these guys oh, and so using weird. them in different ways. It comes off so strange. Okay, I guess, yeah, I was, I didn't want to, also didn't want to do any research because I didn't want to find <laughs> out. Totally. Because I also kind of, I, I liked how it was very unclear. Sure. As to, and there's this like whole other, not only are these guys getting stabbed with a very particular blade in, in hotel rooms, they're also trying to tie in all these like floating body parts to the case. Which has nothing to do with the movie, but there's this whole subplot of them finding torsos and Paul Servino having to just be like, "Get it has something to do with the torsos. Look into the torsos. <laughs> Paul Servino. That, we learn, when I say we it's, learn so little about these people, Pacino gets talked into becoming an undercover gay man in the leather scene in like a two minute scene. Yeah. And then he's like, also, uh, you can't tell anybody about this. We learn nothing about Al Pacino's relationship with Karen Allen. I have no idea if they know each other for four years or like a couple months. Yeah, exactly. And even then he's just like, yeah, I'm going under a thing. Can't say anything about it for a bit. It's like at a certain point in this movie, you're like, you can probably tell her something. <laughs> you're, pro- yeah. you're really holding weirdly to that code. That whole scene of yeah, him being like, I got to go away and I can't talk about it made me think of like how Serpico was really good at that. <laughs> and that and this scene was just like a... <laughs> but then, okay, so Paul Servino... As just like the worst lieutenant captain you could have. Yeah. Guys, guy can't do sh- for shit. And it, it shows him uh, trying to play chess with the machine. <laughs> I love it. He tries to put in his move to the tiny electronic chess machine and, and it says illegal move. And he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> great, great do nothing Paul Sorvino role, huh? Yeah. Just walking around and kind of making a bulldog face. Just- but uh, okay, so and, uh, being the most unhelpful, ununderstanding man to Pacino's uh, a falling allure to the gay scene. So here's another thing that confused me, and I went back and checked this after I watched the movie on HBO Max. So mm-hmm. you know, I was dedicated to go through that HBO Max rewind <laughs> sure, feature to rewind to a scene. Paul Sorvino plays a character named Edelson. Yeah, Al Pacino when he first meets him calls him Edelstein. Right, and and gets corrected. Sorvino corrects him. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when he's after the mission, he thanks Paul Servino and he calls him Edelman. Yeah, I, I thought so. And Sorvino corrects him to Edelstein, <laughs> yeah. not Edelson. That's so Is dumb. that a mistake in the movie? No. Or am I going insane? So dumb. What is, it, is happening? Is is that a real person? Is that or like, is that a figment of Al Pacino's imagination? Is it like Because I could uh, buy either one. Mulholland Drive where she becomes Diane. All of a sudden, when the when the hat box drops, it's right? It's so weird. And he's like, he corrects him to Edelstein. <laughs> That's not his name. 
But that's what he called him in the first scene. Yeah. Who are these people? What is going on here? What did we learn about any of these people? What did we learn about anything here? Uh, Yeah, he's a a terrible undercover cop. The the kills keep piling up. They're done in, in the... I think the other thing that I probably would have gotten a lot of protest is not only is it in the gay club scenes where you see these guys, but they are littered all over like the parks, <laughs> yeah, outside man. like the dirty bookstore. Like they're making it look like an infestation yeah. of just like creepy leather I daddies. Could, I could see being upset at this portrayal. Yeah. Yeah, these people are cockroaches, man. They're going to move into your neighborhood and just have gay sex on your stoop. Yeah. And it's going to be violent. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds terrible. They kill each other, and all they do is bang constantly. Yeah. That's all they're good for. And give you the most hateful looks you have seen. But the music is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see being upset at uh, all this. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed that I had to go back through and rewind to see, because I saw it through, we get a, a lot of look at, like, uh, some of the time i love the vintage like 1980 gay magazines that, that, oh, that, sure. that are in pacino's apartment yeah mandate and honcho <laughs> and then uh during the first kill i saw the guy had wrestling magazines on his floor i was like oh it's probably like apartment wrestling i went back and watched no just straight up wrestling mags <laughs> it was like bob backland and ted dibiase on there it's just like oh no it was just the same magazines i read when i was a kid yeah <laughs> yeah no that was it i love it just harley race on some some guy's magazine was about to get <laughs> stabbed 20 times in the back well and then they also make a point of like these guys getting killed are also like columbia professors who then also have this secret this dark dirty double life. life yeah that they don't tell anyone about and so. then it's yeah al pacino's living his double life <laughs> that he can't tell anybody about but is it his life do we know how much he got into this scene how this this whole vibe, how far did he go? The movie purposely does not ever say how far he actually goes. Yeah. How he, far undercover. Yeah. For for a while he seems to to put off any any advances. He's just looking for dudes. He's just a new fresh faced boy showing up, suddenly asking tons of questions to the bartender <laughs> at the know. White Swallow. Got the bartender's ear all night. Who's this guy? Who's that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I love how quickly and the it's door like, you're not supposed to be a cop. <laughs> the doorman clocks him like eight steps through the door. Just like, yeah, you're a cop. <laughs> you got the wrong attitude. You got here. the wrong district. You, wrong uh, vibes. You're not sucking or fucking right now. So you're clearly a cop. <laughs> you don't belong here, pal. We know your score. Whereas Spinell's in the background, just like, <laughs> look like the him, just like let him through. He's here, just like smoking the stub of a cigarette in just the most disgusting way man that shot you know that that one jump scare in exorcist 3 in the hospital mm-hmm. spinel coming into frame out of nowhere close up when he's eyeballing pacino when we're doing and, the montage the of guys and yeah and like the sixth guy is spinel's like wait, wait, wait. i jumped Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you're already looking at several tough guys that are all just sweaty and menacingly horny yeah and then spinel is the fifth or sixth one just oh like this movie is just filled with also Friedkin originally didn't want Pacino he wanted Richard Gere how hot would Richard Gere have been in cruising he would have been perfect Richard Gere would have been hot in this flick man yeah had he done a American Gigolo I think that was a that was 81 or 82 so like year or two after that yeah 
Oh, Richard Gere and Cruisin'. If this movie had been more neon like American Gigolo, I mm. want a fusion of... Now I just want the fusion of Cruisin' and American Gigolo. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> but yeah, once I saw Gere was in this, like, man, that's a different movie. That's a di- I think Pacino came off so tough in all these scenes, and it really felt like they were veering towards a really weird, like... I'm too afraid to be like secretly accidentally into being gay. So I, maybe I killed eight dudes. Like, is that the direction they're taking this character? Cause the less, the more well, we see this guy at clubs, the less I know about him. There was a, so you saying how it's like, they keep using the actors for different kills and all that. Mm-hmm. That is almost like making me think, cause I was watching this movie like, well, if it's not him the whole time, maybe it's like a fallen thing where, this thing keeps passing through people. That's, and he kills the guy at the end because it's like finally gotten to him. Yeah. Whatever this is. Whatever this thing that obviously drives homosexual men insane. Right. It's and finally so hit him. I never want to make the like, was this movie AIDS? About this game. Because none of them ever are. And it's the easiest thing to... Ju- is this an allegory? Because this was before. This got to be before. The peak of the, the yeah. AIDS scene. Yeah. And... But I had never noticed before until this viewing the passing something from one victim to the next. I'd never noticed that aspect. And he had to be doing this intentionally. Because that's no mistake to just keep using victims as the next guy. That one weird dude who looks like the first killer but isn't the killer. Yeah. And then that's the guy that ends up getting killed in the bushes. Yeah, like, right. When Pacino's like scoping dudes out, I thought that first guy who ends up getting killed in the bushes, I was like, oh, that's the killer. Right. Without the big glasses on, like because it looked exactly like him. Yeah, and then he gets killed in the next scene, and it keeps doing this in different ways. And then by the end, you hear about, and, you know, Billy drops this thing about the nursery rhyme. The only guy that ever says the rhyme is Al Pacino. Yeah, you know the guy that looks exactly like all the other guys who've been killing people. Where do you get that police? Hat? Who who then like stalks Richard uh, Cox for like twenty minutes? <laughs> I didn't remember the. I remember so much of the shocking club scenes. And uh, I forget how half of this movie is Pacino obsessively stalking Richard Cox. Yeah. And just sitting outside his window staring (laughs) at him. So creepy. Undercover. So creepy. In full view across the street. Yeah. Few of the only daytime scenes. Mm -hmm. Pacino either going to the coffee shop with the one normal guy in the movie. Or just talking about normal guys in the movie. Paul Servino's boss, I could have sworn, walks into an interview and just does poppers. (laughs) (laughs) like i know al pacino's part of the scene that's just doing poppers out in public but like is this guy also is everybody in this movie part of this scene who's this giant black guy oh my okay the interrogation scene this movie this this was maybe the scariest scene of the movie in a lot of ways these these detectives who are who they think they've got their killer and it's not but uh they are the first guy the, Pacino. Yeah, the first guy we it. think we're going to get. I'm like, they're going to kill this guy. They're going to kill him in the room right yeah. now. Or they're all going to fuck him. Ed o- yeah, Ed O'Neill's. Yeah, these are all yeah. cops who they've alluded to are all like secretly like want to kill gay guys because they're secretly allured by their gay wiles. So the Again, big- I see why they hated this movie because now there's eight characters in a room with yeah. two gay men who are all like, we hate gay men, but... <laughs> But we've also got a big black guy in the other room to slap you around. So I, I do remember hearing something about that. Um, I remember seeing that scene on Reddit or something. 
And I can, someone, I can someone, see that scene being a viral thing. Someone said, so there's a scene where they're inter- interrogating the suspect. A huge black guy in basically just a jock strap and a cowboy hat comes in, doesn't say anything, and slaps him real hard. Slaps Machino out of his chair. And he comes in and does it to the other guy too. Mm-hmm. I heard they cops would do shit like that when interrogating people because it's so crazy that if you told someone that they did that, they would just be like, this guy is insane. We can't believe anything he says. If you were like, yeah, and then a huge black guy in a cowboy hat came out of the other room and slapped me, all the cops would be like, I don't know what so this guy's on. He's obviously on drugs. So earlier you, you'd mentioned this movie feels very anti-gay, which were the allegations that Friedkin yeah. has to like fight. And anti-cop, though. I think this but is yes, just as But yes, it is also anti-cop. anti-cop. <laughs> I think it's just as much Friedkin just being like, fuck you, fuck you. All of these cops are the worst, and they are all shown as unglamorously as possible. And the whole thing wraps up in the most mundane way where the guy who's actual killer fingerprints on the scene. They're like, if you confess to these other seven or eight murders, we'll get you down to eight years. It's just like, at no point are we just like, eight years? This whole movie was for eight years? I was like, no way that's real. No way they're going to bargain out eight years. They're, They're either bullshitting the suspect or... Servino goes from like... Or like, I, I didn't think that was... I was like, I don't think his fingerprints match at all. I think that's just something they would tell a guy. I think that's to it. Conve- con- confess. Richard Cox in the end saying he didn't kill nobody. And you watch and Pacino makes the first lunge at him. Yeah. So... And and uh, Richard Cox has the knife, but Pacino has gone through his clothes in the earlier scene. And it's like, I was like, Pacino planted that knife in the book. Also, everybody in the movie uses the exact knife. Every, not just every killer, every steak that's getting cut is using this knife, man. They try and do this long thing where the killer's a waiter. He took the knife from work. Even the scene in the steakhouse where they're watching these people just like feverishly cutting their steaks. <laughs> like like ants trying to demolish a carcass. Yeah. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Yeah. It's so unnerving. The surrealism and the, uh, the dreamlike like effect David of a lot Lynch- of this. Uh, esque of just having all these weirdos just like eh, eating their steak like a bunch of perverts. I know. I dropped the the identity shifting in Mohan. David Lynch is such an easy comparison. Like the guy. Yeah. Is to, it's so. E- I'm so obsessed with him that it's easy to see him in everything. You know, and even the like the discordant sounds that sound like squeaking rubber and glass. Yeah. I mean, shit. That's David Lynch. If there was more of an echo, shit, that would be. Him. But now I'm thinking but- Lynch is. Lynch Stealing is all the ripping Friedkin. from Friedkin, baby. <laughs> Lynch Friedkin grew, predates Lynch all of loved uh, the uh, the Exorcist, and he's like that scene where she's up like this. I'm gonna put that in a racer head. You know, this <laughs> yeah. yeah, makes you think. I don't Freaking know. Out. This the Bang Bang in Twin Peaks. That's the name of the club. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, you can't get these people looked so good in this flick for being so grimy and tough, and all of these cops who. Yes, I'm so thankful he does not take any of these asshole sides. Yeah. These people are corrupt. But the genuine laugh that that line gets when this big black dude in a jockstrap double slaps this guy who didn't do nothing. The way the guy hits like, who is that guy? <laughs> because everybody in the room was, you could tell everybody yeah. watched this movie with, with me was like, are we there's no way they've mentioned this before. Like, who is this guy? And this guy is just as confused as everybody. Just, who is that guy? Was that Delroy Lindo? 
Delroy Lindo based his whole career off of this dude. <laughs> I thought for sure that was Delroy Lindo because he looked exactly the right. same. Again, glad it wasn't just me. Unless he goes went by a different name in 1980 or asked to be uncredited. I mean, it would have made sense because, ever, like I said, there's a young Ed O'Neill in this. There's uh-huh. a very young Ed O'Neill. Full head of hair, Ed O'Neill. Just a walking stick. Did you stick. see that head of hair? Yeah. I'd never seen him without the Al Bundy. Uh, uh yeah, we get Powers Booth in a scene. We get James Remar at the end. Oh, good James with the Remar. The long scene. hair. Yeah. A lot of baby faces in this. You so, get yeah. those benches where James Remar was arrested in the Warriors? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Badge. Have you ever passed that specific bench in Central Park? Like, you are going to get you handcuffed know. to it by somebody. That just happens there. Yeah. Dad from Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> full, full Afro. Dad from Boy Meets World showing up for a scene and a half. Yeah, this was a big guys movie. Tons of guys. Not just the fact that Karen Allen's the only woman in the film. Karen Allen, yeah. I mean... uh, What an impossible... I can see why she doesn't talk about this movie. That is like... Her character is just so... But also, like, who's asking her about this? Like, she was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, <laughs> I want to talk to her about that. <laughs> Come on. I'm sure she's answered. I'm sure you can find some Raiders questions. I want to know what the hell the cruising set was like for the one woman in this movie who was never any part of the rest of that. How much did you know about this movie, Karen Allen? Yeah. You could have kept a huge chunk of this story. At no point does he ever discuss what he's doing with her. So she could have come in for two days to film her scenes and think it's about like a, you know, an arguing couple. Yeah, she's got a real, yeah, real brief just in and out couple of scenes we where she's getting railed or she's <laughs> trying on some leather outfits yeah, at the end. We learn nothing about their relationship. She's got a fantastic apartment in New York. This is an incredible movie apartment. Yeah. The shots back in that. How many rooms does this have? Are we going back three rooms she's, just behind her? She's like some sort of architect is that, a designer whole sunroom? Yeah. That's always perfectly sunny? Look at the natural light in this place. How is she there? Who is she? Why are we not talking more about her? Yeah. Because he's back at the clubs, intoxicated by that smell. It must smell crazy in there. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to know. Imagine how crazy it I smells never, at the toolbox. I have not thought about the smell yet. You know, I thought that I was, you know, because there's a couple of, of uh, gay bars in SF that would do music nights. Like in the mm-hmm. late 2000s, like the Eagle. I probably saw the OCs play at the Eagle or the Fresh and Onlys, right? To firmly plant this in like, <laughs> like 2009. Uh, the Eagle was a gay place? <laughs> My <right>. clue was <laughs> that the trough style urinals had mirrors the length of them. Ah. Uh. Very nice. And also all the naked pictures of men above the mirrors. Yeah, yeah. That was my ticket. And also a block away was the stud. That was my first clue. No, so the eagle was, I thought it's like, oh, yeah, I see mirrors in the stalls. I I see this, that kind of place. Nope, nothing like these places. No. I wouldn't wouldn't have been able to go to any of the places in here to see the OCs. (laughs) I would have not felt safe. I I would have immediately felt threatened and scared. I'm not tough enough for this scene. But again, this is not the only gay scene in New York at the time. And that's why it feels kind of problematic. If you're just using this very exploitative scene as only a backdrop to a murder mystery, that really feels like you're not like, I'm not sure how you can say, no, I'm pro-gay. I'm using the (laughs) the violentest members of their community as the backdrop for my movie. You know, it was probably just more of like, I want to make a weird, crazy horror movie, and this is how I do it. 
you know, I feel like uh, I could see Friedkin, maybe you said this earlier before we recorded, just like, it's not anti-gay, it's just this was just the movie I wanted to make. And it makes me think of things like the, uh, you know, death to disco stuff, where it's like, we weren't trying to be racist or homophobic. We were just anti-disco. People hate it. <laughs> you know, or, or we were just, uh, that was a big Chicago thing, too. So that makes sense. Defending the, the just the like innocent we were, disco haters that didn't yeah. hate it because it was primarily loved by gay men and black women. They just hate I just it. innocently or, hated or just, chic. You know, we we were we were homophobic and <laughs> racist, but not targeting them. We just wanted to burn some disco records. I don't I trust don't anybody who isn't intoxicated by Giorgio Moroder rhythms. Yeah. If somebody can hear Nile Rogers guitar and chic and say, throw it under the steamroller, I don't think I want to associate with that man, whether or not his views I'm on just, uh, I'm not even sure why what point I was trying to make, but it's just it's more like uh <laughs> I could see this movie was just like I want to show this very weird niche subculture of danger and death. In a, and in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel different than somebody making a movie in the middle of the punk scene. Yeah, you know, this was nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. Like if you had made a movie centering on CBGBs and other stuff, using actual members of bands and stuff, and this movie used bands like the Germs and other stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of LA punk for a New York movie, by hmm. the way. But you know, you could set a movie just as easily, this movie, exact movie, in the New York punk scene. And it doesn't have to do anything with gay sex. Right, right. And I think the fact that he chose to do it and film it in the middle of these clubs and keep all that in. That makes sense. Is is what's more there to criticize. Yeah, yeah. Plus a punk scene movie with this era using real punks would look so incredible filmed <laughs> by these guys. Yeah. I think that's the thing. This looks so punk rock to me because like, damn, dude, everybody, every extra in this movie looked cool. This personal style, even the weird sleaziest ones that looked all like, like, oh, with the weird slick mustache <laughs> that one guy had. This guy thought about this look and stuck the landing. Mm-hmm. Never seen a room full of more confident men than the extras in this movie. They're all on poppers, too. Yeah. <laughs> every, con- every scene in this movie, you can stop and somebody's holding some kind of pen up to like both nostrils in the background. While getting head. Yeah. <laughs> like in every frame of this movie. But it's an amazing looking movie. But yeah, all that said, I, w- I was riveted watching this movie. I yeah. was scared. I was tense. I didn't know what was going to happen next. It was what it was kind of like that same feeling. So uh, thinking about you talking about the punk thing made me think of that movie Green Room. That takes, oh, yes. takes place at like a Nazi punk club, basically, out in the middle of the woods in Oregon. Like that's that same terror I felt in that movie was what I was feeling watching. It's this movie. the authenticity. Like, he's gonna yeah. If this feels real, these feel like actual Nazis, and these people are in real danger. Just as I've never been to any of the places like in cruising, I've never been to a punk club as rough as the rural Oregon one in Green Room. Yeah, the authenticity that you're like. I don't know what a rural Nazi punk club looks like. <laughs> Slash meth lab, like yeah, as a punk club. But this seems pretty accurate. This seems pretty right. Like if I, I did if I did not know cruising was filled with these ones, like this did not look like sets. Like, no, yeah. this looked pretty legit. This and if these guys weren't authentic guys, then this casting director is like a genius. So yeah. I was thinking that too. I was like, I wonder if these are all like Broadway dudes that are just like <laughs> spending the weekend doing no, hardcore gay the stuff. dancing was too primal yeah you can tell when it's a broadway guy like in uh <laughs> yeah. trick or treat 
Throughout all of cruising, just die, good guys pirouetting in just the background. Just high kicking like that guy <laughs> trick or treat. You're like, no, this is this doesn't feel right. Like, no, man, that dancing was too like private, but like they got rhythm. The worst dancer in the movie is Pacino. Oh, by far. His dancing is like his dancing is worse in Scarface. This man mm. cannot move. But he's got I, no rhythm. I love his kind of rhythm without rhythm dancing when he was like really getting into the scene when the song was right and you could and he just hit those poppers yeah when he was really feeling it that's that's like the really great arnie hammer dance scene in uh call me by your name when they're dan- their arms are over their head and it's like that moment where he was really dancing like no one's watching yeah <laughs> while the dude was getting pissed on in a tub by like five guys <laughs> to his right you know, like the same way you were moved during that dance scene in Titan. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I don't know why this feels so good. Now, that one I was into. That one I got turned on. By. You weren't as into by the Pacino. <laughs> Pacino just kind of shaking his fist like he's like trying to open up a pickle jar. I, when he's wasn't, cutting wasn't loose that and shaking that great head of, cur- of Burt Convy curly hair. <laughs> Stiff throw. <laughs> With that black U-cut tank top. So I've seen a lot of Pacino movies. Yeah. Very flowy, long hair in a lot of those movies. How do they get that tight perm on him? I've never like, seen... you. You His hair... The hairstylist in this movie was... That's the genius. Yeah. His hair looks great. It's crazy. Him and those... I, he's wearing lifts... But his, I love his how his loose baggy pants are cut like boot cut, but down to his actual height. Oh, he, I love his look. In he this. also there's a lot of scenes where he's standing on things in the scene to like seem taller. Like <laughs> yes. the scene where he's there's a scene where he's walking down with the one normal gay guy in New York to the coffee shop, and he keeps or somewhere, and he keeps like stopping and like stepping up on a planter. Yeah, or stepping, stepping up, up on, on like a rail front stoop. Yeah, just like getting up on a rail a little bit yeah. <laughs> around everybody. Uh. A lot of heights, you know, just like uh, I think Friedkin must have played with people's uh, heights and the way he shot things in this because he really made people feel he really played with that, you know, predator versus victim thing. I think a lot of it's, you know, you shoot over somebody's shoulder, they look bigger, you shoot up from somebody that, you know, I think he's playing with that a lot. Because one thing I noticed, this is the first movie where this final scene with Sorvino and Joe Spinell. Yeah, Sorvino always seems like a smaller kind of chubby guy to me. Maybe because every movie Sorvino's and he's like sitting down, so yeah, like sure. turning in a chair to talk to somebody, <laughs> <laughs> like not getting up and moving. This is the first scene where he's up and he's walking around. He's putting his leg up man. on a desk. He looks like shit in this movie. Oh yeah, man, he is <laughs> he warmed rough. over. They had to put him next to Spinell to, to spruce him up a bit, right? Yeah. Spinell's just got a dead close up of just like ghastly face just like looking up and like talking morbidly about dead bodies yeah i think it was a lover's quarrel yeah yep. nobody knows a thing or two about this guy like, oh, i'll 10 i love also the detail that he got paid 10k for this he really puts a stamp on like man 10k seems like a lot for spinel in this movie although remembering that that was like the figure that i heard right like, I assumed he was just in that opening scene. And then when he kept showing up, and then, yeah, it's like in the end, even, I'm like, I'm like, he only got 10K for this? Yeah, he shows up. They're like, it's like almost like we're paying him 10K. You should throw him in a couple more times at the yeah. end, right? But him next to Sorvino, he looked weirdly small. Every other scene in the movie, Smell always reads as this big mm. guy to me, a big, meaty presence. It's weird to think that he's probably only like, was only like 5'10, 5'11. Yeah, I feel like I remember Sorvino being a bigger guy. He, he actually seemed in this one like not as fat. 
and like, <laughs> he hadn't had, quite gotten the full Sorvino. He was like, like more build. of a Yafet Kano. And he had all his hair. Another guy with like all the hair. Yeah. I, I feel like in Goodfellas, he always felt like a guy Ray Liotta was looking up to, though. Yeah. Yeah. He is a, I guess he is a big guy. My perspective's always thrown know. off by some of these. Pacino being so small around everyone makes everybody seem this weird kind of form of imposing and towering. That's mm-hmm. why it's smart to cast such a you know, small 5'6 guy. That Gene Davis, the actor who played in 10 to Midnight, so good as the killer in 10 to Midnight. Yeah. He's great in this, arguably underused. Yeah, I kept waiting for him to be like a bigger part or like team. Like, so, yeah, I just thought this was a different kind of undercover cop movie. It's unsatisfying and, in a lot of ways when, when we get our conclusion. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I kept waiting for that guy to be like the one who gives him the info or teams up with him or something. He seems so important and he's so good in his first few scenes. He's in the beginning of the movie a lot. Yeah. Right? And he's so good and he looks incredible. I, I saw an interview with him, and the guy said that he hadn't really done a lot of acting, but he showed up, and he was, like, ready to walk on. Because he's like, I'm 5'7", I was at 125, best shape mm-hmm. of my life. You see him in those leather pants? It's like, whoever was dressing this guy, putting that blonde wig on, it's like, man, they found the perfect look for that character. Yeah. I loved his character. It's this right blend of vulnerability and, like, talking tough. To survive in this in this crazy crazy world that I also want to be in, <laughs> it's such a great character that that feels like I want to learn more about that guy. I want to learn more about the Paul Servino's boss doing poppers in the interview. Mm. I want to learn. I love how Ed O'Neill orders his rare steak. Ed O'Neill seems like yeah. such a shitbag in this. Hardly has any lines, <laughs> but he seems like such a scum. Right? I wanted to learn more about Hanky Salesman Booth Powers. Right. <laughs> He seemed like just a normal guy. I was like, well, I set up shop next to the Ramrod. I might as well sell some hankies. <laughs> yeah, you keep them there. Yeah, you, you, set, you know, you, they just, you got a local guy who chews a lot of the same kind of gum. You start maybe stocking your guy's gum, right? You stock some fresh hankies. Yeah. So all the authenticity this movie feels like, I'm wondering, like, does it just coast on that? Because it, a lot of ways, doesn't feel like it really has a lot to say. We don't learn what, Pacino really went through. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about like how much sex did he have. We really don't learn that much. We get one scene of him being like, "I'm losing myself." Yeah, there's a yeah, but and that's how scene, that scene seems really off too. There's a yeah, the scene where he, added in he meets Servino to just be like, I, "I I don't think I could take this anymore." And Servino just kind of dead eyed stares at him like without giving him much and just like, "I need you." Yeah, like. That's also, not this, good enough. It, it, so then, yeah, it just yeah, like you said, it feels added on in a way where it's like, I think all he's doing undercover is just going to these clubs, yeah, and looking at guys. Like, we don't it, see him doing anything else, we, but just being around, just gay being people around, is ra- changing him. Yeah, well, that's what this movie kind of really heavily implies problem, right? is that a lot of people that can't cope with the fact that they're gay just murder gay men. Like, this movie heavily implies that there may be as many as six different ones just in this one club alone doing that. Mm. There's this one guy. We don't learn really anything about Richard Cox's real relationship with his father. He has a bunch of unsent letters. His dad's you know, appears as a ghost. His dad basically appears in the same role as Jason's mom in Friday the 13th 2. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have to kill the people that have sex, Jason. And then I was trying to think, like, 
was that dad's voice the voice of the killer in the beginning? Because it, the killer's voice is really strange in the first like two scenes. Like, uh-huh. doesn't sound like it's really coming out of that guy's mouth. Funny you mentioned that because of all the protests going around and so much of this movie having to be re-recorded and dubbed in. One man ended up dubbing in several different people uh, mm. with the same voice. It was intentional. But he was, yes, it was thrown in there so everybody had the same voice. The guy's dad had the same voice. At least two of the killers had the same voice. And you would hear that same voice in other random dubbings. Mm-hmm. So you think he's That's putting... so crazy because I thought I was going insane no, watching this movie. He puts in so many different <laughs> details like that to add to the crazy tone. Man. You know this thing is so well thought out, which makes it so maddening how he refuses to answer anything or learn anything or have any but or none of it but there's so much care and so much intention put mm-hmm. behind all of it any and he's no help cuz he'll just say like who do you think the killer like it's like when oh, the really? director yeah. himself doesn't feel like he has any answers and you're like but how could you purposely do all of these other things like i don't know the fact that nobody talks about this movie that had a part in making this movie and there's no answers to this movie just kind of adds to the whole lore hmm. and the whole, the whole coolness of cruising, I think. But poor Karen Allen. Your boyfriend's coming home suddenly looking like he joined like a motorcycle gang from the 50s. And he's just like, I can't talk about it. Like, what's he going around (laughs) doing? Like, beating people up with pipes and chains? I mean, I know there's some pipes. She seems pretty cavalier at the end about seeing the full leather outfit on on her sofa. Like, he's back. Like, hey, baby, I'm back. He just literally just walks. The last time we see her is them clearly going in very separate directions. Yeah. And parting. And then he just shows up at the end, shaving in her sink, going, hey, it's all done with. I'm back. It just feels like a fantasy. Like, it feels like it's not real. And that's why he, that's why Servino gives him the wrong name. Yeah, at the end, because that's what he thinks his name is. It feels so bizarre. Like, I, I don't think know. the fantasy I, element is intentional. I think it's frustrating. I think yeah. it's unanswered, but I think it has to be intentional. There's too many. I don't want this. When I was thinking, no way. There's no way supernatural stuff is happening. But it seems a little more undeniable now that I've been through it a few times. Or just very much like the unreliable narrator. Of Pacino. At at minimum, unreliable narrator. Yeah, something's up. He definitely killed that last guy. Did he kill the others? Was he in a diff? you know, was he projecting himself onto these other people? Or or was he pretending to be these other people when he was killing? Yeah. Like, is he going through and, like, yeah, picking his victims and then pretending to be them while he's, like, something's going on there. I mean, there's a good chance that he was working as a normal desk jockey cop this entire time and just going out pretending he was undercover yeah. as a means to kill gay men. That is heavily implied by the ending. Now, it also sets up that James Remar just as easily could have killed uh, Gregory. Mm-hmm. It established him as very, very jealous and always questioning where Gregory was at and hold him, had him understandingly but still threatening Pacino with the same knife. Right, every right. killer used in this movie. So it is plausible that Remar, in his little green briefs and short tank top, that Man, guy, what a hunk. That long hair of his. That is a nice float. Going for more of a Joe D'Alessandro thing. Oh, for his, sure. With his for hair. Sure. Yeah, Remar usually has such 
closer cropped sexy yeah love that guy yeah weimar shows up one scene then his boyfriend shows up murdered 50 times that's the what a gruesome bloody scene to end with and uh maybe one of the worst dead bodies in movie history as far as faking like that guy was twitching (laughs) <laughs> I didn't that notice. that dead body <laughs> i didn't notice it, poor they, they, that poor guy they must have had him in the bathroom for like hours setting up the shot or something because the, the close-up of him you just see his like hands twitching it's stuff really freezing cold yeah probably cold. <laughs> they always put these poor actors in. yeah you're gonna be in your underwear murdered next to this toilet <laughs> yeah <laughs> put your head next to the toilet can you my know, feet this is a real no your head's building. right next to it <laughs> right next to it Joe Spinell's going to be smoking next to you the entire time. You're <laughs> laying there trying to play Just dead. Sweating on top of you. <laughs> Just dripping beads off of you. But yeah, I mean, you can easily say this whole movie is Pacino. He, he might have just been going out more and more and getting the taste of killing. It could be as simple as that. I don't know if that makes it dumber or if it makes it more well thought through. I just know that we don't really know a lot about him and his life with Karen Allen. Mm-hmm. We don't know the depths of what he's really doing. We could be seeing not a lot the depths of his real job. There's a It establishes that there are cop night parties where Spinell's Ooh. there, he's a real cop, but everybody in the place is dressed as a cop. Him going in with the rep as a cop could might help him in certain ways. I don't know. This movie has layers, and I think a lot of yeah. them are there on purpose. As oh, infuriating absolutely. as some of it is, and I think that's that's Friedkin all the way. He's he wrote the uh, screenplay based on the novel. He yeah, he clearly had this kind of because he just yeah, his movies just seem to want to fuck with you. Yes, and they want to frustrate you, and they want to be about kind of impossible things to figure out. I mean, Bug is all about to whether or not two people in a motel room are imagining. Like a skin disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, I don't think you really know. It's just Harry Connick Jr. and Ashley Judd flipping out and tearing at their skin for like an hour and a half. Yeah. And I'd have, I have to watch To Live and Die in L.A. again. But isn't that one just like the cop might be crazy the whole time? Oh, yeah. He's going William nuts. Peterson suffers yeah. in Friedkin movies, man. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorcerer is just, uh, you know, Roy Scheider in agony. Right. <laughs> just suffered with it, right? French Connection. These are tortured people. Exorcist. Like, man, Friedkin's a torturer. But this is this man makes movies. He might be a sadist. This, yeah. He's that a, might be why no one wants to talk about his movies. I need to find this screen capture of him doing this interview in that brown leather dad jacket. He looked like, you remember Garth Marenghi? Oh, yeah, for he sure. He looked like that, right, but, right. but not but like Chicago, not from Bristol. <laughs> yeah. He looked like that. It's just like, oh, this guy's killed. <laughs> That's how John Landis should look. <laughs> John Landis is too uncomfortably happy. Right. That's why that's creepy. Friedkin's just like, yeah, this guy seems cold. This guy seems like high. Or he could just be like a, a far side character. Maybe mm-hmm. he's just a goofy guy who just makes fucked up shit. Whatever. He, he he did make a point to have a character say he hated Mondays in this movie. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's a Garfield man. He's everybody, right? He's all of us. We're all Billy Friedkin, huh? I don't know. I do think this movie does uh I think he kind of takes a back door on answering a few of the things. I think the most yeah. important thing is learning more about Pacino, but I do like the theories of him, you know, all the even, even the dumbest of ghost theories. I'm like might have my ear on this one. I like it. No, I, I, I don't think the vagueness takes away from the impact. Not at the all. The emotional, the chilling, 
fearful, scary. You I, there's a the the scene at the very end where he is shaving at Karen Allen's, looks at the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and then we see the river where we saw the body parts. Yeah, in the beginning he does of look the movie, right at us. and I'm like, I I think he just kills Karen Allen at the end of this. Like, I think she's gonna be in that river. The like the last minute of this movie felt like American Psycho. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely. felt just like that. You get that one little glimpse. I I went out seeking anybody talking about this, and I couldn't find it. He like nicks himself over his Adam's apple and immediately kind of tucks to it, and then does more of like a sensual shaving cream rub. And it's just like, is that some sort of just like him, just like. He got into this world he of likes the pain. pain. Yeah, the blood. But it does imply that uh, he's going to cut Karen Allen's throat like one minute after the, the fade to black, right? Yeah. Yeah. Him staring at the cat, which is like, we're really going there. <laughs> and then right before then, he finds the the paper, like the unicorn. You mm. see him picking up the unicorn that Edward James almost threw him? <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, is uh, Pacino a I did replicant see in this one? Rose Rosebud the sled was in the background of that scene, yeah. But I do love that Richard Cox really got to shine during that weird cat and mouse showdown. I did love that cat and mouse showdown between him and Pacino. When Pacino is so overt after he fingered the wrong guy and uh who then had that who is that guy has to go in the our intro. Oh yeah. What a <laughs> Who is that guy? Who is that guy? <laughs> what an unexpected burst of laughter in such an actually distressing <laughs> film. Right. And there's no way that was put in any way but to break up with this crazy, like, that is funny. That is a hilarious read. I don't know if Richard Cox, or if that actor knew who that guy was. Might not have. <laughs> right. Might have been his first time. Uh, but yeah, that whole scene where Pacino cruises uh, Richard Cox them same benches that i love showing up in mm-hmm. in central park movies right and they keep getting one keeps getting more threatening and more like it's the first time after the dance scene that pacino really feels like this guy just into this yeah are you disappointed that they didn't didn't have sex i think then movie needed to have the two of them have sex well at that point it was it was this it was correlating the ritual of sex to the ritual of murder yeah, like because Richard Cox obviously knew that this guy was after him, had broken into his place. You know, he leaves the letters all messy and stuff. So Richard Cox is like, you get the sense that he's hunting Pacino while Pacino's hunting him, and they both know they're hunting the other one. Yeah. Both guys are using so, each other as bait for each other. Yeah, and they both know it. So yeah, it's like <laughs> the, the line between sex and murder is completely erased, and it's one in the same at the yeah. end there. Yeah, the dynamics are the power dynamics are the whole movie's been about power dynamics. And this is this weird mm-hmm. one where it purposely you have no idea who has that. Like they both seem to know what the other one's doing, so one of them has to make but they both keep playing chicken. Yeah. The whole time where both of them knew keeps knowing exactly what the other one's moves are and keeps kind of urging them the other to keep the little like but also do they kind of want to fuck? <laughs> like that's what it seemed, right? Like they both want to kill each other. But they're also both actually into this. And if we are to believe that one is a repressed, closeted gay man who hates being gay because of a weird relationship with his dead dad that doesn't get gone into. Yeah. They make a point to say the killer's shooting blanks, too. I know, man. He's got a weird, like, like, also he doesn't have any sperm in there. Yeah. So he hates that. 
so so that so that's got a bugaboo with him. <laughs> <laughs> they always gotta have something weird going on there, right? Yeah. This wasn't even one they announced to the papers to like draw him out. It was like a guy in a private conversation, like, hey, don't tell anybody this, but this guy's sperm is weird. <laughs> so that's not cool. Yeah. That's that's a that's mean. It's not like to lure out man the red dragon. They're like, also his dick's uncool. Like, <laughs> nope, this is just two guys eating a sandwich talking about it. <laughs> As much as I love Pacino getting really into the dialogue when he asks lips or hips. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of that. It didn't feel like, uh, I don't know. I do like how Pacino is clearly the aggressor, though. It, mm. made a, it did at least make a stance that Pacino made a move. Before Cox pulled a knife, Pacino at least made a threatening move. That's something. But not quite enough for how I wanted that scene to go, I think. It's easier to say what I wanted instead of what we got. Mm. And I don't know how much... I've heard stories about this, like important parts of this movie having to be changed due to unusable footage, whether for mm. it being too extreme or ruined by protesters. So I know that changed some stuff. I'm not sure how much it affected the course storyline or if it meant him leaving out important scenes. Because some important scenes feel left out of this movie, I think. We yeah. get a lot of so, some stuff that I don't not sure if it belongs or if it's just there for atmosphere or maybe the whole thing is just supposed to be atmosphere. I think yeah, I think maybe this is a movie that relies more on just the emotional unsettling vibe rather than the details of the case. And it is that. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very unsettling. The unsureness about what actually all occurred is very unsettling too. So I think it I do think I really love this movie. Mm. I think it is really great, even though it's it's flawed in ways that I hadn't really thought about until really sinking in <laughs> some QT with cruising yeah. lately. I, I I really enjoyed it. I think it would be really hard to recommend this movie to anyone who you weren't <laughs> yeah, like who very intimate or or knew a, like good friends. Maybe we can talk. Lisa about Lisa and Parking's gonna want to hear about this. Yeah, I don't. Nope. I don't think I uh, at the office go like, yeah, I do a movie podcast, and like, oh, seen any good movies lately? <laughs> well, let me tell what you. What was Frank. your last episode? <laughs> let me tell you, Henry. Uh, this will be right up at the top for <laughs> yeah. at least a week. And man, I want to do all of the Friedkin. Oh yeah, I definitely. can't wait till a coworker sees sees our Jade episode. <laughs> I am I am hyped for the Jade episode. But yeah, there is people next to me at the theater hadn't uh, had not seen Cruising, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to tell him about it when he asked what it, what it was like. And I said like it's a it's a thriller. It's a really menacing dark thriller. At the end, he just says, "Man, that was a thriller. That was a thriller." And I say, "Yeah, there's no movie like Cruising." Mm. He's just like these two were kind of in shock at what they had just witnessed. There's no movie like Cruising. Yeah, a movie that can still shock this many years later to capture a scene that still feels that <laughs> rough, mm-hmm. that tough. Man, hats off to anybody that survived that scene. Yeah, really intense. Yeah, you must be doing something right. Yeah, if you can mess up generations worth of people later <laughs> yeah watching man. your movie because so much yeah you see so many things even from 1980 you know it's like you know uh the the horror movie of 1980 is campy most of the time right this know? was the same year as friday the 13th yeah right, right? 1980 yeah yeah 
So I don't know. Yeah, it, there's something going on here that is just super upsetting. This is boundary pushing. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and not. And I think it does rise above simply like it's shocking because we show gay people. I think mm-hmm. it does rise above that. I think a lot of the exploitation is is the point, mm-hmm. and it adds to that grime. You know, you think, oh man, Spinell went and took this 10k to to fund Maniac. Maniac's a sleazy movie. Yeah, really. Not really any sleazier than. Than cruising, though, right? Which is a movie that made twenty million dollars. So yeah, I mean, cruising's just as it's got just as much blood and gore and yeah, terror do- and graffiti it, and it doesn't have a woman's dankness. scalp and like a bulge on the cover. Yeah, yeah. But there's enough bulges in this. <laughs> we got enough. A few bulges. Yeah, we get enough plump Some juicy bulging. cocks in this Man. movie, right? Some buns and jock straps. This movie tells you what two minutes in you're getting that pan across some some butts. Anybody that was, I didn't see a single person leave the theater. Everybody was buckled in. Everybody <laughs> well, was in. That's good. They they signed figure, up for this. They they've already there. sat through three hours of Scarface. If they're coming back to watch the next one, they're not gonna just gonna walk out ten minutes in like no. You know what? I gave it a it shot. Is, it's a late night actually. <laughs> actually, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, it's past ten. It is Thursday. Uh, I should have got another popcorn. No, I mean maybe fifteen <laughs> people were asleep. I don't know, but. Man, this is a movie people should see, but I'm not going to tell anybody that exactly that I that I work with about it. I might watch it on your own in a dark room on HBO. You've seen Max. French Connection, right? You'll love cruising. <laughs> Same guy. <laughs> yeah, I think it came to this. I think it did. We got to yeah. get more Friedkin into the mix. Explore this guy's brain. I just yeah, I love a guy that can just make a movie that's so against the grain of what you think you're going to see, what you usually see. It's just I don't think there's another Pacino movie like this. Uh, there's definitely Scarecrow's pretty. Richard Lynch messes up that one. He he makes that one scene in Scarecrow pretty messed up. Sure. <laughs> Richard Lynch. Richard Lynch should have been in Cruising, man. Oh man. God, Richard Richard Lynch could have sidled into the Spinell role really well. God, what could have been? <laughs> to see if those two work together. They I'm, I'm work. Su- honestly just I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised we got what we got. I'm surprised <laughs> right, this movie, it's a miracle. This I'm movie. surprised this movie actually got made and finished and completed and seemingly distributed somewhere, yeah. if not just in New York and L.A. I think it's viewed much more positively when it came out. It was not only was mm. it protested; it got bad reviews oh, when I it can, came out. I can imagine. Like I'm sure there was a, a few rare critics that were hailing it as real, but it got panned pretty pretty hard, even though it was a financial success. So I think mm. the word is a lot more positive now even though it is not a very positive movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is grim. But it came to this. It did. <laughs> Find it. It's on the most popular streaming platform. Check yeah, it out. It's right there. I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought of Cruise. Yeah. I'm my curious. dad watched Killer Joe on HBO. Maybe. He'll explore other free Maybe we're the only ones who like it. But, uh, yeah, let us know. I'm into this. <laughs> and have a good night. Thank you for listening. <laughs>